Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. week I had a strange occurrence and it was uh, I was invited uh, uh, by another pastor to go on a fishing trip in Montana and I want I want to talk to you about this because this is the this has been my life I love a life where you're continually in intera- interaction with the Lord in fact the Bible says to pray without ceasing now you read that verse and you're like ah, how does that work it works as conversation with God all day long. Things that you're doing, people you meet, situations you face where you go, Lord. <laughs> Sometimes we say it sarcastically, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't know what to do. You know, actually we should make that a serious request. Lord Jesus, I don't know what to do right now. It'll show up in power. So, you know, it, I, I've never been fly fishing. I've, I've told Cindy I'd like to learn how. And so this pastor called me up, said, you want to go? We'll pay for all your expenses except your air flight there and back, and that's it. And this, it's, a, it's an amazing situation. And that's a great thing, but that's not the key to the story. So I've never been to Montana. I've been to every continental state in the United States, obviously not Alaska and Hawaii, every continental state except Montana. So it's always been on my mind, like, I need to go to Montana, you know. It's a bucket list item. So when this guy called, it was, it was multifaceted, the things that it fulfilled, you know, being with him, hanging out with him, some other pastors, learning to fly fish, being outside, being in Montana, check, 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 goes down the list, you know. But then the next morning I get up, and it was actually in the afternoon when, when I, during my day where a Facebook friend messaged me, who I, I, I do not know, I, I probably met him somewhere, he, he's in New York, but, you know, uh, he just messaged me and said, hey, Steve, I just got a question for you. Have you, do you have something coming up in Montana? Now, there's no connection whatsoever between this guy in New York and this pastor that asked me to go. And so it perked my interest. I said, I said, well, you know, tell me what you're thinking, you know. And he said, well, my wife last night had a dream, blah, blah. In the dream, it was about, it, it was a long story, but it was, it, was, it was about them thinking about leaving New York to go to Montana to live a simpler life and all that, you know. And he said, uh, you know, we're thinking about going there. And then today at lunch, which was Friday, today at lunch, he said, while I was talking to my wife and a friend was sharing pictures of Montana with them, he gets a call on his phone and it's from a number he does not know. How many of you get calls from numbers you do not know? I'll probably get one while I'm standing up here. But yeah, you, you know, and he looked down and he, he thought, well, that's strange. And, he, and it said at the top, uh, Montana. And so they were talking about Montana, the dream the night before, and, and I'll tell you how it happens. So then he, he uh, screenshots it, goes through his lunch. After the lunch, he, he thinks, I'm going to call that number and see who that is. We've done that, you know, and typically the number does not exist anymore. It's a spam call. And so he calls the number. Sure enough, it doesn't exist. So he goes on Google, puts the number out, Googles it, and it says, Steve Witt, Billings, Montana. And he's like, I need to let Steve Witt know this, you know. So he, he started this whole conversation, and it turns out, well, that's very interesting. And I said, well, 
He said, where are you going to Montana? I said, I don't know. Let me call. So I, I text my friend, and he says, we're going to Billings. And so then I shared all this information with my pastor friend. He's like, I think we're going to Billings for something else just fly, than fly fishing, you know. And so I look at that, and I, I, I mean, it continued to unfold, and I, it is really long, but it is amazing the weaving of things in your life. And many of us, I know, because I was like this a long time. I still am many times. Things come into my life, and I go, oh, that's interesting, that's a coincidence, whatever. Not realizing that this is the Lord speaking. And I know people go, why doesn't he just tell me? How many of you are married? That's all I need to say. This is a romance. So, you know. As this does, I mean, it happened last week too. A friend of mine in Ashtabula, I haven't talked in several weeks, calls me, had a dream about me the night before. In his dream, two of my former dreams from 02 and 06 that were important enough that I wrote them down are in his dream. Fragments of it in his dream. What I was wearing, what we were doing was in his dream. He did not know about these things. Does that mean anything to you? And I'm like, it could. I need to think about it. So, I think, well, why are you using everyone else to communicate to me on these things, you know? It's, it's part of the Word of God. Now, the evangelical church relatively has cut out the aspect of God speaking to his people. They, they really have. Mainline church has, I mean, the, I, I got to say, the Catholic church has not. The Catholic church sees Jesus in burritos. Seriously. It's an apparition. It's a... It's a, it's a view of a spiritual thing, you know. And, and so I applaud that for 2,000 years. They still believe that God speaks. The Bible says that we will know his voice. His sheep, you are my sheep, and my sheep will know my voice. So what I have to ask you is what is God saying to you? He is speaking to you right now, I guarantee you. It's, it's our daily bread. A man does not live by daily bread, but by, what's it say? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there's a filling in our hearts of the connection. And some of you I know say, look, God's too busy. Seven billion people on the planet. He's probably in Pakistan somewhere. By the way, he was in Pakistan this week. Mark Guggins from down in uh, Cardington, Ohio, was in Pakistan with a team ministering. They bought, uh, one, two, three, four, five, five people out of slavery in Pakistan. They bought a, got a man, a woman, and three children. You should see the pictures of these three children. Three children were born in slavery. The man and woman had been in slavery for 22 years, and they bought them out. So, I mean, things are happening in Pakistan. God's obviously there, but God is so huge that he knows exactly who you are, where you are, what's going on in your life, where you're thinking in temporal ways. God is communicating. He's a pursuer, as I mentioned last Sunday. He doesn't sit back in a passive way and say, well, let's see what happens. He goes after the lost sheep. He goes after the lost coin. He, lost coin. he stands looking for the lost son. And when the son comes, he runs to him. So it's a view of God that we've missed in the, in the corruption of evangelical understanding over the past, particularly the past two centuries. I believe that God speaks. The primary way that God speaks, which I want to talk about right now, is through the Word of God. And by the Word of God, I'm referring to Holy Scripture, the Bible. 
You say, well, there's nothing really magic about the Bible. No, there is something pretty magic about it. This is my daily Bible that I read at home. I picked it up to bring. Uh, you know, I pick it up every day, except Sunday, by the way. <laughs> it's the only day I don't because I'm preparing for a message. But every day I pick up my, my trusty little, I've had it since 89, 1989. And it's kind of a little bit beat up and written on and everything else. But there's something of a, it's a, it's a spiritual, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna say anything to lessen it. It is a spiritual sookie. It's a spiritual, when I, when I read my Bible, I know it's more than just head knowledge. I know that when I read my Bible, it is doing something powerful in my soul and in my spirit. It's transforming my thinking. And when you do that, you create spiritual algorithms. Algorithms are, you know, looping thoughts of information uh, that, uh, you know, and we're all, we're all subject to algorithms right now in a tech world like we're in. I mean, you know, you search something on Google, all of a sudden now on Facebook or somewhere else, these ads are popping up. You know, a couple years ago, I was checking up, what would it take to retire in Italy? Never seen anything on Facebook about Italy. And all of a sudden, want to retire in Italy? 50 and over in Italy? Look at this hilltop. It all pops up, you know, and you're like, wow, that's really amazing. You know, that that happens. It's, so, it's such a coincidence. It's not. You have been already established. People go, I'm not on social media because I don't, they know everything about you. Who's they? I don't know, but they know. <laughs> they know everything about you. They've created these algorithms that everywhere you go, everywhere you move. I mean, there's places in the United States now, if you walk by a, a, uh, a Trader Joe's, all of a sudden, ads come up on Trader Joe's. They know where you are. They know what you're doing. They know who you're married to. They know your taste. They try to determine what you really want and then tell you this is what you want. I mean, you, whatever you put in, it's all, even if you begin to type into Google, it's, it's already got 100 suggestions of things you've already typed in over the years. You know, it's, it's right there. It's tracing it. It's recording it. That's what's going on in technology. I want, you to tell, I want to tell you that this, you know, there's artificial intelligence AI that's really going to impact our culture over the next 10 years. This is OI, official intelligence, not artificial, official intelligence. But it's not the kind of intelligence like mine. When you read this, just like algorithms and technology shape what you do, shapes where you go and even what your desires are. And you go, no, no, I don't believe it. It did it in the 50s. It was called marketing, <laughs> billboards. That was ancient technology. Billboards constantly showing a guy smoking a cigarette and a big, handsome guy on a horse with a hat, every man's dream, perfect shape. They didn't tell you that he died of lung cancer, but they show him and he's smoking. It's like, yeah, I need to be cool like that when I get in my Volkswagen. It's amazing. So they've been doing this for a long time, since the beginning of time. Trying to influence them. If they can't influence, then they will force you <laughs> to do what they want you to do in order to create control, wealth, whatever it might be. So we're under, that, we're under the influence, so to speak. The Word of God, this is why it's so important. If you are not feeding yourself on the Word of God, you are not creating spiritual algorithms. Spiritual algorithms begin to shape your decisions. 
all of a sudden when you come up against situation, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Woo, thy word have I hid my, I mean, the hiding of the word of God in you actually will keep you from sin. David said it in the Bible. The Bible says, it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I quote these verses a lot because I'm trying to pull people, a prophetic people, into the Bible, into the Word of God, because it is the absolute plumb line and stabilizer for your life. And it's not just about the knowledge of, oh, wait, there's a scripture in there somewhere. No, no, no. This word is different than Shakespeare. It's not just for memorization. When you read the word, it has the quality to shape who you are. It has the quality to build conduits of response into particular situations. That when you wonder about what you should do financially, things that you studied and read about, or even though you didn't memorize them, even though you don't even remember the exact scripture, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit brings that up when you know not what to say or what to do, an algorithm pumps up in the spirit pops up in the spirit. And when it pops up, it's saying, do this. And it's only about, always about following the plumb line of love, which is Jesus Christ himself. So if you're not in the word of God, and I know a lot of believers today are not, I've looked at the polls. We're all poll driven right now. It's a very low percentage. It's like under 30% of people, Christians in the United States, that look at the word of God on a daily basis. But when you look at the word of God, and I'm telling you, this is not just our survival guide for the future. It's the thing that will cause you to thrive through every difficult situation. Jesus, his first encounter with a demonic attack, as we would know it, was in the wilderness. I mean, right after he has the best weekend service of his life, he got baptized he got baptized, he came out of the water, heaven open. I mean, I, I, I wasn't looking, I was looking at them today, but you know, they may have looked up and felt heaven open up. That's a good day. When heaven opens up and a voice comes out of heaven and the voice has something good to say, and the voice is not saying, what are you doing in the pool? You know, it didn't say that. No, he said, this is my beloved. It's like heaven, the father could not help himself. He's so proud of his son. He says, I, I got angels are like, no, no, you probably shouldn't do that. No, no, I, I've got to open up to heaven. Hey, Jesus. <laughs> hey, everybody, this is my beloved son. I'm telling you, everyone in this pool right now, in a sense, heaven opens up. When you say yes to the Lord, Yeshua, it opens up and the Lord speaks down into your life. So Jesus went through that. This is my beloved son. He's coming out of that like, woo, this ministry thing is going to be a powerful thing. He is led by the Spirit. Oh, God doesn't do that kind of stuff. He doesn't lead you, lead you into difficulty, really. Well, see, that you say that because you don't read your Bible. <laughs> when you read your Bible, you realize suffering and difficulty and challenge is a part of the Christian walk. It's just part of it. I mean, don't feel special when you're in difficulty. I'm the only one that ever gets difficulty. Well, maybe the Lord, you're just in master's class, you know. You're getting a, a, a great course in perseverance. And uh, one of the things I learn in difficulty is how in the world do you get out of it? That's what I want to learn. But sometimes it lags a little bit because the, the thing that is supposed to come out of this difficulty is actually what's going on, the algorithm that's being created in your soul. 
that you will actually be able to speak to other people. You'll actually be able to respond properly in your life. Why? Because you've surrounded yourself with the Word of God. Look in Scripture here. We're going to go to first, uh, actually, because of time, I'm going to skip first uh, Timothy. Let's go over here to uh, second Timothy. There was two passages in uh, second Timothy. I'm sorry, first Timothy and second Timothy, but I'm going to second Timothy, chapter three, that talk about perilous times. The word perilous in second Timothy, you'll recognize it pretty quick. Perilous means, I don't know, depends on what generation you're from. You know, peril always makes me think of the roadrunner and the coyote. I don't know why. He was constantly coming up against peril, what I would call peril, you know. It's not really a contemporary word, but truly in the Greek it means stressful times. Do any of you think that peril would, could be put over 2020 and part of 2021? It's a stressful, unusually stressful time. And so Paul addresses this twice, once in 1 Timothy, once in 2 Timothy, talking about these challenging times that will come in the last days. Now, you're going to hear me talking a lot more about this lately. The Lord has been speaking to me over and over again to begin to bring up the topic that he is coming again, Maranatha. Maranatha is a word used once in the Bible, very popular in the 1970s. Maranatha means, Lord, come quickly. You get in a situation with your boss, Get that word. That's a good word to use. Maranatha. Your boss will say, what'd you say? Oh, it's secret code. <laughs> Lord, come quickly. <laughs> you ever been in moments where you thought, Lord, come quickly. Lord, now, Lord, this would be a good time to come if there's any time. I'm at the top of my game. I'm at the low part of my game. Maranatha. And so he talks about these times, but he also talks about what believers are supposed to be like during these times. They create spiritual rhythms ahead of time. That's why I call this series Spiritual Rhythms. They create spiritual rhythms ahead of time so that it automatically kicks in when they get in the difficult situations. The word is hidden in you. The word is, you've meditated. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the whole psalm is devoted to the word of God and the powers of the word of God. But let's look first of all, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, but know this, that in the last days, turn to the person next to you and say, these are the last days. <laughs> they are. Perilous, stress-filled times will come. 2020. It's not there, but I think we can insert that. For men, before I read this list of what men do, it really is mankind. So ladies are included in this. What we call that now, person kind? Is that the, uh, for men will be lovers of themselves. That's not happened yet. Uh, you, don't, you know, we'd be seeing tons of selfies and things like that if that was happening. Lovers of money. Think about this. He, he gives like a substantial list here. This is really on his mind. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, and a bunch of other uns, slandering, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I don't know, does that, does it, I mean, does that relate to this, this season we're in right now? Yeah, 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 it does. It says this, having 
a form of godliness. What is that even like? I mean, in their day, it may have been one thing. It means something different today. A form of godliness means that you've, you've got kind of a title or maybe a, uh, some kind of an understanding. A, you know, my parents were followers of Jesus, you know, and so I'm kind of under that umbrella. A lot of people say that. When I talk to people out in the streets, you know, wherever I go, you hear that, you know, all my parents were or Jesus followers or my parents were Methodists or Presbyterian or whatever. And I, and I, always, I always tell people, that's great. That's amazing. It's good to have that background. But that's not what I'm asking. Are you a Jesus follower? That's the key, you know. And so we're seeing this, this juxtaposition of two cultures going on at the same time, which is so biblical. It happens over and over in the Bible as if God's trying to tell us something. That at times in, your, in the epochs of time, there would be moments and seasons that are very difficult. And believers are meant to shine in the midst of those difficulties and challenges. So he says they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, this sounds judgmental, sounds like cancel culture, I don't know what it is, but it says, and from such people turn away. Wow, what? Turn away from who again? Those who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Oh, got kind of quiet in here. It does. It got quiet in me too. Verse six. Let's go to verse 10 because of time. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them, all the Lord delivered me. So he's setting it up saying, look, you're going to have to make a choice in your life. And when you do, it's going to bring on bad stuff, difficulty stuff, challenging stuff. You have got to be strong in the midst of that. What will sustain you in the midst of trial? What if this, this amendment or act passes and, and great oppression comes in very subtle ways that is unpacked gradually over a period of time? And you realize that that was an inflection point, a tipping point, whatever you want to call it where all of a sudden America started to be fundamentally shift, shifted in a different way. Fundamentally shifted is this is an erosion of Republican politics or Democratic politics. This is an erosion of Western culture and it is erosion of the things that made Western culture great. And by saying it's great, I'm not saying that there were not major mistakes made because we're on this side of heaven. But what it did is it created a compassionate Capitalism, that's what it did. The opportunity for everyone to be lifted out of poverty. Now, I understand that's not always equal. It's difficult, it's challenging and everything else. But I want you to know what the heart behind it was, compassionate uh, uh, compassionate capitalism, which, which I just read about this morning. I got up and somehow it came up and I, I've used that term a lot, not, not known the history of it, but out of Cambridge, England, in medieval times in the 1200s. All these plagues and difficulties and everything else. Wealthy people on their own without anyone restricting them, taxing them or anything else, out of their hearts begin to pour out all their profits and all the income that they had extra into the community of the poor in order to lift them up, get them trained, get them skills. That was 800 years ago. This is not a new thing we're going through right now. So the problem is when capitalists come into a place where there's no 
compassion or beneficial understanding within those capitalists, it become a very unequal kind of a culture. But rather than forcing it by the law, the Lord wants to bring in and move hearts and move hearts in America because we really are the richest nation in the world if we look at all aspects and factors. And regardless of what your income right now, I can tell you compared to the rest of the world, you're standing pretty good. And so God's working on us as an Americans. Can you be compassionate even in the small things you have to learn to become a giver and pour it out? So it's a form of godliness, denying its power, turn away from such people. But be careful to follow these things. Look at verse 12. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look at verse 14. This is that key inflection point again. But you must continue. Bethel Cleveland, you must continue. Steve Witt. You must continue the things which, I've, which you have learned and have assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Known the Holy Scriptures which are able. Do you get that? Holy Scriptures. I love the prophetic. I love the voice of God. But this is the foundation for it all right here. And you say, well, the Bible's not perfect. Uh, I think in it's, a, it's an original delivery, it was. There's so many versions and translations, and, and even those that are brilliant with Scripture, you look at Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and it can be unpacked in so many brilliant ways which are not contrary to one another. I've studied it my whole life. Went to Bible school, went to seminary, basically because of this. My bachelor's degree is in Bible. I wish they'd have put a little bit of a more exciting title to it, but that was it. I got a degree in Bible. And this Bible has saved my life. Why? Because the consistent reading, the consistent knowledge, the consistent understanding of it, even if I walk away and forget everything I read, it doesn't matter. It has been in there doing surgery in my heart, changing minds, changing thoughts, calming me down. Tell you get in an argument or something or have anger problems, just sit down and start reading from Scripture. And watch how God reads you, how God leads you into certain passages that are exactly for where you are. So you must continue in the things. What do we do is we face the traumas that are going on in America and where we're going. By the way, I just read today, uh, last night, it came in on my, uh, some algorithm must have thought I wanted to read it, so it popped up and it said that in California, the Supreme Court of the United States struck down a law in California uh, that disallowed people from having prayer meetings into their house. And the Supreme Court struck it down. And so now you can have a prayer meeting in your house in California. So God is on the move. God is moving. He's keeping religious liberties free. We have our voice. We must speak that. But, but just want you to know that not everything is going down the tubes. This is a powerful moment in Christ Jesus. Look, he says, from the Holy Scripture was able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy was already saved. So why did he need wisdom for salvation? Because salvation is a moment that you turn, obviously. In ancient church history, people typically did not stand up and give their hearts to Jesus. That just wasn't the way it was done. They were in process all the time. They were in process into a closeness with Christ. 
As they pursued him, they looked toward him. Obviously, they were seen as Christians, especially as they did what Jesus told them to do. So Timothy would be one of those people. Timothy, though, understood that he was wise for salvation. Some people believe this. I do myself. You, you have been saved. It's the aorist tense of the Greek. It means it's past completed. You are being saved, and you will be saved. And in some ways, it represents spirit. You are born again by the spirit. Your soul is being transformed or saved by the power of the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit so that someday your physical body, even though it may be scattered in molecules all over the planet, will be pulled together. And and the Bible actually says this. There's a redemption or salvation that takes place in that time when you were resurrected from the dead. So past saved, present saved, future saved. I am saved. It is whole within me. So there's this working in the spirit of God as I read scripture I start to uncover my inheritance in the spirit. I start to uncover my knowledge of understanding of how God moves. It it really comes through the word of God. And as I study through it, and some days, I mean, trust me, and some of these, this is a daily Bible. A daily Bible, there's, there's ones that are like long, lots of genealogies, lots of names. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Not a lot of highlighting. Not, you know, they're not the key verses I look at, you know. But I get upon one, and I'll tell you, every day the Lord begins to speak to me in my day, in the moment. Even again, I might walk away and forget that verse. It doesn't matter. It's been programmed into my spirit. So listen to this. It says in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or mankind of God may be complete So this is a part of the complete package here. You get get saved, you get baptized, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you get in the pool, you do what Jesus did. We're followers of Jesus. He said, learn of me, we're learning about him. And then you go to scripture and the Holy Spirit, you know, anytime you take a trip, typically you've got a a voice and a map. Somewhere you develop a map of where you're going to go if you're serious about a trip. You know, we went to Italy a few years ago and we got these big, uh, you know, post-it notes that go on our wall in our kitchen and we mapped it out. I mean, we mapped out the calendar, where we were going. We looked at maps. Where do we want to go to? We researched That's just what, Cindy's a great researcher. So I joined her in that. And, and it, you have that map and that map will help you. It's not perfect, but that map will help you. But it's also good to have a guide. We went out with a couple that have been to Italy numerous times. I took them out to eat and I talked for the entire hour and a half. I asked him everything about Italy. What is that? It's a voice. It's a guide. And when it comes to the word of God, it's no different. If you're going to get to where God wants you to go, you've got to have a map. This is it right here. And the Holy Spirit whispering to you and showing you Jesus in every verse that you read. And through it, he begins to empower you. And because of time, I need to conclude right now. I want to go to, uh, if you could go with me to uh, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. It's an important verse. This is a part of the, Uh, building of spiritual algorithms in your life. As you study the word of God, what does it actually do to you? By the way, we're heading into a time, I posted something a couple weeks ago, um, and it surprisingly got a lot of response. And it was about, you can look at, it was like about two weeks ago, I don't know, but I talked about acceleration where a day would be like a thousand years because knowledge of a thousand years, say from uh, 
zero AD to a thousand, that block of knowledge, we are increasing almost daily now, uh, that thousand years. So a thousand years, what's that speak to? It speaks of acceleration. Uh, it speaks, I mean, even the cryptocurrency, blockchain, all that's coming out now, it's huge shifts in mindsets. Strangely, it's taking off at a time when cash is really not welcomed. A lot of the restaurants you go to, they won't even take cash because it's seen as dirty. It's complicated. Why not just use your credit card, credit cards only? So we have been in a massive shift right now. AI, of course, coming, a replacement of rudimentary type jobs uh, that they feel machine could do better. It's already taking over, has been, and getting improved. They say the 40-hour work week is gone, that people are going to live very different lifestyles. We've saw that in the past year. We have been in a major, I'm kind of a, uh, uh, a cultural uh, student. I watch these things closely and prophetically try to interpret what, what's going on, what is this transitioning to. And uh, it is massive. When Elon Musk says that he's going to send a 1,000 rockets up with a 1,000 people on each one over a 10-year period, and by 2050, a million people will be living on planet Mars. And everyone else says, that's crazy, you know, but Elon Musk believes it, you know. And he said, I read an article the other day, he said the greatest need in the future is that people need something to hope for. He believes Mars is the hope. I wish I could talk to him. It's a little beyond Mars. You talk about outer space, it's way out. But he understands that the hopelessness that's going to come through the, the infringing, massive move of technology into our lives, people are going to become disoriented. And then now we, they, up to 100 different understandings of who you may be sexually. I mean, if that's not going to cause some confusion, where we went from two to 100, it sounds like the time of Jesus when Pharisees created 613 laws that everyone had to follow, and so they walked around burdened. Right now, a burden is being placed. We do not know how to talk. What if I say the wrong thing? If I say the wrong thing, I'll lose my job. I'll lose my friends. And worst of all, I'll be canceled on social media. I mean, all these things will happen just because I said something wrong or said a joke or whatever. You know, there's, there's racism in all of us, by the way. There's sin in all of us that is being rooted out, by the way, in God. And racism is sin. If you have problems with people of color, if people of color have problems with, with people, of, I guess I'm a person of no, no color. Um, it's a problem either way, but especially right now because of people of color in the United States. God's dealing with things, hidden sins that are inside of every one of us, particularly in white people. And so I applaud that. I applaud that. I mean, I don't want to be forced on me, but I applaud the fact that God is moving in my life and moving across America to bring about a greater understanding for whatever I believe God's going to do in the future. And so we have all these things that are coming up. Do not be fooled. This is creating massive stress. This is a time of, of peril in the spirit. But the Lord says, look, during times of peril, if you lock yourself back to the map that God's given you, you will get through this and you'll not only get through it, I believe you're going to thrive through it. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter Cindy, text them. Tell them I'm running a little bit late here. Uh, oh, there's so much other stuff I wish I could share. I, maybe I will in the next one. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is living. That word is so cool. It's the word zone in the Greek. I just say it's the, you know, it's the, it's the zone we live in. Uh, it, 
So the Word of God is living, the Word of God's zone, and powerful. Again, it's that Greek word that means energized. I shared about a month ago. So in other words, the Word of God, and he's referring to when God expresses himself, even through the Torah, even through spoken word, whatever it might be. This is a living and active thing that has energy on it to change the energy in your life. And it's got a map on it to direct you to where you need to go. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. It will separate your emotions from what is true. The Republican Party could use this. So could the Democratic Party. Separate truth from emotions. Division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. I know a little bit something about marrow. I had cancer in the marrow. And they had to eradicate it with massive chemo. And uh, so when I think about it, I think, well, that's pretty detailed. When you get down to that, I know what bone pain is. I know what the, the difficulties and challenges. Like he goes right to the very, the very life source of every human being, which is in the marrow of your bones and joints and marrow. In other words, it goes to the very small things in your life. And the word of God comes in like a sword, living and active and energizes your life. This is the best self-help program you could go through. This is the best coach that you could hire and it's free of charge. You just read it and it changes your life. Let's stand together if we could.